back to the Deeper Cut podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. It is great to be again, be with you again this week. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and uh, I'm joined as always by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, good evening. Good evening, Tim. It is evening. It's this is a rare, a rare occasion for us. A, a late in the week, a Friday evening recording of the Deeper Cut. You have. Uh, our listeners should know that you do have another job besides this. You don't get paid for this. <laughs> this is true. Hence, you have other obligations, which in this case included a, an out-of-town trip with work and, and just a couple of snowstorms this week, Tim, that have kept you occupied. Yeah, one even today. So, <laughs> um, snow, it was, what's the motto of the Postal Service? Neither, Neither rain, rain nor, nor snow hail. or sleet nor snow or something. Hell no. Snow, no. <laughs> anyway, we, we, we made it happen, and um, we have a special fireside edition yes, on this it's, Friday it's, evening. It's evening, so I thought I'd uh, up the ante a little bit. It's great. It's 80 degrees in here, and it's <laughs> 20 degrees outside. So. But you look good in the skivvies, too. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, hey, this this is a this is a uh, audio only, so let's not okay. put any ideas in people's heads. Okay. And, we have we speaking of ideas, we do have some guests with us. Do you want to introduce them, or shall I? Please do. Okay. Well, welcome back, Josh Tigro. Thank you. And uh, we're glad that you're with us. And you were here tonight on f- for uh, our our church's pit crew, our pastors in training, but I let you know at the last minute that <laughs> actually it's a special edition of our pit crew, Friday night pit it's crew. It's a work meeting. night. It's a work night, right. <laughs> so welcome, Josh, and also Aaron, you, you've been a, on the podcast a couple of times as well, so Aaron Gregus, welcome to you as well. It's good to be back. It's been a while. Now, both of you have recent momentous experiences. We won't talk about them necessarily but I want to give a shout out to you Aaron for completing your your first in-person um in week intensive at RTS Orlando last week thank you so congratulations and you survived and uh I've been enjoying hearing about some of the things that you've learned and then Josh your your (laughs) new life experience is that you got married brother that's right did you know that Josh yeah. Well, <laughs> where, where, where is your wife, by the way? Uh, she's at home. Okay. She's. Uh, I I had to to ditch her to come here. Okay. And, and uh, urgently uh, do this impromptu podcast. Yes. <laughs> we Very appreciate good. it. Well, thanks to you both for being here. Yeah. And, um, welcome back. You might not want to come back for our normal recordings anymore after, after the Friday evening uh, fireside version. That's true. So you may we'll have raised to be the careful. bar too high. Yeah, we have to be careful what we're doing here, Phil. So, um, But it's good to be back again this week. We are continuing um, in a new sermon series that just got started last week in First John. Um, and so we are two sermons in and uh, just bar- barely scraping the surface of um, John's first epistle. Uh, the, the text for this week was verses 3 and 4 in chapter 1. And um, 
Phil, I'm just trying to get some of the details out of the way. So your sermon title was, Who Do You Share Life With? Mm-hmm. That has been recorded, posted, and, and up and available for, for several days at this point. So please, this is your, your weekly reminder to please hit pause, go listen to the sermon. Um, if you have not done so already, this conversation will hopefully be much more of a blessing to you if you've already heard the sermon. So I, I, in this case, I can testify that it's up on Spotify because I listened to the sermon the other night and it put me to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, you know, the Holy Spirit works in amazing ways. Was it it the sound of the preacher's voice that that did it? Yeah, it was something. I'm not sure. It was something. (laughs) It's not insulting if you say you fell asleep to the sound of your own preaching. Okay. So okay. uh, we, we do occasionally have congregants or attenders who apologize for falling asleep in the sermon. And I'm usually, that's usually the first time I hear about it. Like I don't usually, I can't tell unless their head like hits the pew in front of them or something <laughs> or they're snoring. Mm. But um, yeah, so it is up on Spotify. I, I test it. <laughs> what, it, what it goes on in that sermon, I, pretty much don't know. I, I heard the introduction. I think that's about it. <laughs> well, the conversation just got a lot more interesting, fellas. Um, we have to, we have to fill, fill, fill in on, uh, on, the sermon. on the sermon. I wasn't asleep when I gave it, though, so I, can, I think I can speak to it. Very good. Well, again, um, the sermon title was Who Do You Share Life With? So one of your classic pose a question to... Uh, to the congregation mm-hmm. sermons, Phil, and um, you know that that automatically makes us have to start thinking, um, which I, I I really like when you do that. Not every sermon can can have a can or should have a catchy title or something along those lines, but it's great when you kind of shine the spotlight mm-hmm. right at what you're wanting but us to do. I think homiletically that we have some freedom in the titles, but uh, for for forever like at least for 15 years of my preaching, I insisted that the title needed to be a phrase from the text. But in recent years, I've loosened up a little bit, and um, I guess I've been persuaded that everything needs to serve the preaching of the gospel and the communication of God's truth. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm going to shy... Oh, I'm not going to be the preacher that uses catchy titles just to be cute or clever, but... If I can do it in a way that has integrity with the message itself and from the jump helps the listener begin to experience and be challenged by, confronted by, and comforted by the the good news, then I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. So in this case, I started with the thought of what kind of the the swing thought was, who who are your friends? And who, in particular, who are you friends with in this church? And... Uh, building off, and, and that's a challenge for all of us at some level, and for some of us, it's it's enough to keep us from church altogether, and mm. there are a handful of people in our church who do struggle in, in very serious ways with making friends with people. Um, interesting that that pastors having friends in church is is such a peculiar challenge, mm. that six pastors this past week all wrestled with that question 
and agreed that that it's it's not always it's not easy it's not mm -hmm. an easy thing to do and so my identity can't be in the quality of my human friendships ultimately i think where i was trying to lead the church is we have to start with our identity and our communion and our shared life with our fellowship with god so was that a a persuasive opening or a, a, a helpful take on uh, on this text, Tim? What was your reaction to that? And upon reflection, I guess. Um, I think for me, it it was helpful not because I would say that I struggle per se with making friends, but um helpful in uh i guess two ways one how important or how much of a priority in my life are my friendships and how much of a priority should my mm -hmm. my friendships be ultimately mm -hmm. so the very fact that um who you share life with or sharing life with us is the second point in the priority list, not the first, um, you know, caused me to, 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 you know, kind of reflect on that a little bit. Um, and then the, the second thing that I was reflecting on is um, uh, the priority of who I do have friendship with, right? So uh, we are in South Jersey, <laughs> um, you have a lot of friends, you know, you, you could call a lot of people your friends. Um, generally speaking, I think most people in our church would say that they have tons of friends. How close they all are, you know, that that's a that's a second kind of conversation. But even in my own life, you know, I have a number of friends. And over the years, I've seen kind of the the favorites list on my phone literally change over. Hmm. Um and people kind of bubbling up who are people from our church, you know, and people who are not in our church kind of fall off, fall off the speed dial, if you mm. will. Not that I don't care about them at all or something like that, but um, that, that kind of gets more to your second, the second point of your sermon. Mm -hmm. So those are the two things that I was thinking a lot about mm. um, this week. But it's a great question because we don't do life alone like you know we just don't um whether you're single or married or or uh, you know young adult or an older person you don't do life alone you know we live this life with other people so the friendships that we have and what that looks like is is actually very important it's kind of unavoidable to some extent it causes stress for a lot of people so I think the topic in that regard is, is very poignant and John in very few words has a lot to say <coughs> about it. So mm -hmm. what did you guys think? Um, just some thoughts I had on it was I really appreciated your emphasis on Christian friendship, not to cut into next week's sermon, but even John speaks about, um, I think in, in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Good and so, point. And so 
um, just reading through Augustine in his, his book, Confessions, he reflects on the theme of friendship a lot throughout it. And, and much of the, the first few books of, of the Confessions are, are retelling his experiences before he was converted. And he has friendships that would make us look like, you know, we don't have friendships. Uh, Me- meaning they're that close. They're that close, yeah. They're, they're you know, uh, there's a lot written on that as well. But all throughout, Augustine kind of reflects on this, this idea that apart from Christ, to borrow the language of John, outside of the light of Christ and the darkness of sin, that we're bent, we're bent inward on ourselves. We don't have the ability to love God and to worship him. And we don't have the ability to truly love our neighbor as uh, we should and as ourselves. And so only in Christ and only in the light of Christ can we have true fellowship with other believers and true friendships with others where we're not self-word seeking and, and inward seeking in those things. So that's just something that, that came to mind for me. And it's kind of a it's, it's an interesting concept to, that he fleshes out in his books, but we live in an age where we are, are more connected via technology than ever before, and yet when you ask most people, they're lonelier than they've ever been. True. And I think the reason for that is because most of our friendships, or what we consider friendships, are really disembodied. They're behind a screen, they're over email or text message or social media. And God created us as embodied souls. He created us to have fellowship with other embodied souls, to be able to see them and hear them and, you know, uh, touch and all these different things play an important aspect into our, our Christian friendships. And so when we lack that, I think it, it, does, it does make us feel lonely because we're not playing out the, the way... I mean, not that they're sinful or wrong, but when they become the main media or, or source of, of our friendships, they, they detract from what God created us to be, which is communal beings. You, you mentioned um, in Christ, and I want to I wanna come back to that yeah. uh, because I think that touches on something that's very important, and I'm not sure how much it came out in the sermon, but I do want to touch on it. Josh, what are your thoughts on friendship as a, as a starting point for examining this, uh, this little prologue, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And I did review a little bit in verse, verse 1 and 2. It's a, it's a somewhat of an artificial distinction, in other words, to start in just 3 and 4. But um, this uh, section, starting with friendships was that helpful to you or or how did you react to that yeah i like that you opened in that way um it certainly grabbed my attention and as aaron was just saying um and i've experienced this i think that we live in an age where people don't know what it means to be a friend including Hmm. christians and to try to supplement genuine community with online interactions not that those things are inherently sinful but um i've i've done this in the past and i've seen others do it as well where your online friends quote unquote um become more important to you than the people that are actually your neighbors are in Mm -hmm. your community are in your local church Mm -hmm. that's there's something that is unnatural about Mm -hmm. that and it may be 
Um, it may be a subtle thing. It might, you know, it, it's again, it's not inherently sinful to, um, and social media can be a wonderful tool, but there is something unnatural about, and I like the way you put it, Aaron, about this, this disembodied, um, way of doing community. Hmm. It's not how God made us. Um, we were talking last night a little bit after the, the men's fellowship about, talking in person face to face being able to mm. discern body language inflection of voice mm -hmm. god made us as you said aaron as embodied souls and there is something that is lost there is something that's um against nature almost and especially young people my generation and and younger aaron and i are about the same age and where you have guys who are sitting in their room all day for hours, the only interaction they really have is mm -hmm. online, on the interwebs. Mm -hmm. And um, I think people are starving for genuine friendship. Another thing, not to go on too much of a tangent, when I interact with unbelievers, the idea of friendship of fraternal love um, has been really sort of denigrated and erotic love has been so elevated in people's minds hmm. to the point where there are a lot of people especially younger people who believe that if you to truly have an, an intimate loving relationship with someone that inevitably will become sensual hmm. Um, that's another dynamic and, mm -hmm. and that's a subject of its own but I think that also throws a wrench at, into this and causes confusion about what friendship is and friendship with God as a foundation for all other relationships which was definitely where I was going by, by starting here I, I think it's easy to particularly for the insiders in the church and quote-unquote church members, what we call in-covenant members, I'm going to church to see my friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And forget that actually I'm going to church, I'm going to a church service as the church, as a member of the body of Christ, in order to renew my friendship with God. And the people around me are instruments in that renewal process and in as much as they are effective in helping me renew my friendship with God, they are friends. Mm. So I didn't quote this, but Tim, does it relate? When Jesus' mother and his brothers are looking for him, and in Matthew, it's, it's, I just recently read it, it's mm -hmm. extremely intense. He, he, he looks intently at the, at the one who told him this, and then he stretches out his hand and he points, and he said, you see these guys? And then it says, pointing to the disciples, these are my mothers, my brothers, and my sisters. And so uh, prioritizing your relationships in the body of Christ, even over your natural human connections, mm -hmm. because all of us in different ways um, have like a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter who seem to hinder our friendship with God. Mm. Yeah. 
and it's probably more my fault than, than their fault, but yeah, you know, mm -hmm. so, so does that verse relate to what we're talking about, Tim? I could say no and really throw water on this conversation, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I contrarian. think <laughs> it's my nature. Um, yeah, I, it, it absolutely, um, I, I should say obviously relates, um, to what we're talking about, but it's, I think it's, um, I would say, Phil, that that, that story in Matthew's gospel is, I don't want to say misunderstood, but I think probably glazed over, um, and not, I don't think the weight of it really comes through. I think maybe for some of us who, like, who don't have a lot of actual family members who are Christians, we think, oh, well, I could relate to that because, mm. you know. But I still don't think that that's really what Jesus is getting at, which mm. I think you've already kind of hinted at that yeah. in the way you've phrased the question to me. Yeah. Um, but, but it does make what we're talking about, what you preached about, all that much more important um, because ultimately and I'm not sure who said it tonight already but you know our friendships are not our identity is not in our friendship who we're friends with you know in church um, our value is not in who we're, we're friends with and we're not first friends with them um, we're first friends with God or mm -hmm or not, I guess. So if we reverse the order and, and kind of botch that up, then that, that creates a whole lot of strife. Um, and, and I would make the case, and I, I'm not suggesting we go down this rabbit hole, but I'd make the case that if you reverse that order, you're really going to struggle with uh, having true friendships hmm. or even fellowship. And, and you talked about fellowship in your sermon. Mm -hmm which I thought was an interesting, I don't know how that relates exactly to the word friendship. Well, let's, let's, because the title was, who do you share life with? So the word for fellowship is koinonia, sharing life. And so I'm using the concept of friendship as a way of explaining fellowship or making it relatable. Because mm. fellowship has a, a religious kind of haze around it that maybe we just glaze over it. So sharing life um, with another human being, maybe we only think about that normally in terms of, say, marriage. Um, although in some tired marriages, they've stopped sharing life in, in a way. Hmm. So that was intended to be somewhat arresting anyway. But then to talk about sharing life with God. I think I said, Josh, I think I said, some people think that's crazy, the atheist. Well, how could you share life with a figment of your imagination? That's why religious people are, are worthless. But then kind of the, the opposite is kind of the Roman Catholic era. It's impossible for the divine to share life with the creature without some sort of transformation of the creature's essence mm. into the essence of the divine, hence deification, um, which is the Orthodox and Roman Catholic error. 
really that's the foundational error of their understanding of justification. So, um, which leads to every other error, including their views on the sacraments and so forth. But um, sharing life with God, it's a, that's a great goal. Like when I wake up, from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, did I share life with God today? And what is hindering that? So, um, what, what do you think, Josh? I was trying to find a question there, and I, I've, I've lost the thread. But <laughs> what do you think? I'll, I'll try to uh, yank one out. Um, yeah, I think that that really resonates with me. This coming year is going to be very busy for me. Um, <laughs> I'm at a new stage in life. I just got married. Um, my online classes just started up this week. I have a full-time job. Hmm. Involved in things at church. Wow. Um, but what you just said about sharing life with God and that being a worthy goal, and a worthy goal every day um it, that's it's never wasted i i i prayed for this person i i prayed with my wife i called up my brother on the phone or he called me i read my bible that time was never wasted whatever else i did and there are other secondary goals that we have right um and that's one of the things when you go through the, the catechism class right the, the chief purpose doesn't negate lesser purposes, mm -hmm. but that time is never wasted. And um, being like Mary and choosing that better part and sitting at the feet of Jesus, I, I have to, right now, I'm, I'm trying to reorient my thinking of like, uh, I don't, I'm so limited. I don't have time for this. I don't have time. I don't have time to not do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't afford to not do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that was. It's good. With what you yeah, it, it is. So two things, Josh. One, this life is so very short, and everything you do in this life that deepens and enriches your communion, your fellowship with God is absolutely not wasted to your point because as long and as hard and arduous as the journey may seem particularly at certain seasons of life when there's fog and doom and gloom and storms and suffering and pain and loss um, it's just a blink of an eye and communion with God is forever so that was one thought that I had in, in what you said. But the other is the, the pro tip or, or the, the, you know, the advanced lesson is in your work, in your commute, in your doing of the dishes, thank you, Brother Lawrence, we are sharing life with God. Yeah. It's not that it's sort of the fundamentalist kind of mainstream evangelical concept that I'm sharing life with God in my devotions. Mm -hmm. God forbid I miss my devotions and then I have no fellowship with God. Yeah. It's 
the devotions are an intense, focused immersion in the concepts and story of what I'm supposed to be all about. And it's a good intention-setting moment for the day, hence morning devotions are so crucial. Uh, my, one of my resolutions for January, actually for this year, is no phone before Bible. That's good. It's been it's difficult. A challenge, too. And I'm realizing I may need to get a different alarm clock in <laughs> order to successfully make this resolution yeah. happen. But uh, we can talk about that if you want. But um, I can give you a wake-up call, Phil. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds I don't know how that would work for you because it would ring on your phone. Oh, I, I, I missed that one, Tim. <laughs> went right over my head. So uh, th- those are my thoughts, Josh. Um, you want a second scoop, or Aaron, you want to jump in here? I'll gladly jump in. Uh, just one of the things I was thinking about is just the, the reason for which we were created, the chief end for which we were created, was to have communion with God. And the whole Bible, in a sense, is, about, is a story about God dwelling with his people, and when, when Adam and Eve sinned, how God brings about redemption to bring about his original, um, his, his, his original plans for humanity to dwell in his presence and to commune with him forever. So when we think about that in terms of we were created for the chief end of communing with God, with glorifying him and enjoying forever, our catechism says, that this implies you know, deep fellowship with God and communion with him. And it's not like it's this individualistic, isolated experience in heaven where we're all having our own personal experience of God. That's, that's more so like the consumerism of our age and the expressive individualism of you know, our, our modern uh, you know, way we look at life. But it's also a communal uh, experience of God. We, we, when we come to the Lord's Supper, you know, we call it communion. I think for most part, people think that it's strictly communion with other believers. But it's first and foremost communing with the risen Jesus Christ who's in heaven. By the Holy Spirit, by faith, we're communing with him. And by feasting on his body, we're able to have communion with his body, the church. And so communion with God facilitates and enables communion with one another. So just to interject real quick, that our joy may be full. Yeah. So how interesting that that's the last phrase of the Mm. prologue of John's epistle. Yeah. Meaning he ends his intro with this kind of ringing the bell of fullness of joy because you and me and us, we have fellowship with God. Yeah. And with one another. So, um, I, I like your reference of communion, Tim. You know, I tend to encourage a joyful mindset in communion. That's not very Scottish of me. <laughs> you know, this the no, kind of, isn't. and that may not be a very good Scottish accent. In no, anyway, it wasn't. I'll just I'll just take that hit. Just I'll just take it in in, in the humbleness and gentleness of Christ. Um, so there is a there is a tradition of deep mourning introspection at communion. I tend to encourage the joy of communion. Um, 
sometimes I say, yes, acknowledge your sin, but dwell on Christ. So that could be uh, just a bias that I have, but I'm certainly not averse to penetrating self-examination. I mean, you know this about me personally, but mm -hmm. you also know that this is, this is just a Christian truth, that that's an important element of our faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm wanting the church to come together with joy in communion as best as we can. So finish your thought, Aaron, and then I'll, I'm going to hand it to Tim. Did you have another? No, I, I don't think so. I okay. just, I think you summed it up pretty well there. Okay. Yeah. If um, the gospel without joy is not the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I think we, and when I say we here, I mean reformed Presbyterians. Um, Sometimes a little joyless. Uh, uh, maybe not joyless, but so focused on the introspection and reflection of our <clears throat> sin and our guilt and how we fall short and um, that we suck the joy <laughs> out of out of our lives and out of the fellowship that we have with God. Um, and it, it's almost, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but for me, it's, it's almost like I'm doing penance, you know, mm -hmm. in that regard. It's like, oh, well, I can't, I don't even deserve to pray to you right now, Lord, because mm -hmm. of my sin, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, it's not the gospel. It's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a false gospel and it's prideful. Um, and I'm standing in the way of God wanting to have fellowship with me and even worse thinking that God needs me in some way, um, and needs yeah. my fellowship. And, mm -hmm. and you made, I mean, this is right at the beginning of your sermon, but where you launched off was, you know, God is perfect in his fellowship within himself and just being God. And so life is God. There is no life apart from God. There is no fellowship apart from God. It all exists in him and comes from him. And so we get to partake of that. Um, and that's a, that's a wonderful, <laughs> amazing, joyous thing to, uh, to consider. It reminds me, um, that, that whole idea, uh, I'll give Piper a shout out, you know, the pleasures of God. And, uh, it's he, a, it's a great book. Yeah, he was on my mind and, and has been, um, in the last two weeks, just the, with his kind of his concept of Christian hedonism, which I take some issue with, but um, the last two Sundays have, have been, it's made me thankful for that emphasis nonetheless. Uh, here's a quote from one of the commentators that I was reading and preparing for the sermon. The goal of, um, of proclamation of John's proclamation is fellowship between those who make it, meaning the preacher or the proclaimers, and the audience 
a fellowship that is not merely so a social community because it is also a fellowship with God and with God's Son, Jesus Christ. Mm. Judith Liu. Mm. So, the goal of preaching is to create this holistic shared life, as you were saying, Aaron, life with God and life with neighbor. And Tim, as you were saying, in that order, because our lives with our neighbors are disordered when they become the priority. And it's just a babble. It's just a, a community of man. So mm. um, there was a big snowstorm as, as you got big for us. I mean, this is not like <laughs> Chicago or Minneapolis or anything, Denver. But um, I helped two of my neighbors with their driveways today. And... I did it be feeling and knowing both the life of God is mine. And I wanted to share that through this act of simple service with my neighbors. In one case, um, it was the, the daughter who was shoveling the driveway. She was very grateful for my help, the, the daughter of the lady that lives next door. In the other case, it was the the woman of the house and she was just finishing up and I said um, looks like I showed up uh, just in time to be told that there is no work to do but uh, humor aside we got to talk together and you know snowstorms do this they bring people out of their houses so um, even snow shoveling can be kind of a testimony or, or a witness to the life of God in, in us good that's super helpful i and I, that's a, what a wonderful example of what you were talking about um previously about not compartmentalizing time with god hmm. from then living your life hmm. over here and i you know i've i've struggled to consistently you know set aside that time and I see now all the more now as a married man how important that is like we need to do family devotions and I'm the one who takes initiative I mm -hmm. need to lead that but some of the most I would say some of the most meaningful like uh, times with God recently I've been at work mm. just walking around <laughs> walking around doing what I need to do and praying in my head or out loud and people probably think I'm talking to myself. Sometimes I am talking to myself yes. because I do that all the time as sure. well. Um, <laughs> and so are you doing it now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining none of you are in the room. Yes. Right now, <laughs> yes. Um, I, so especially because Tim's in his skivvies, really trying to imagine <laughs> that he's not in the room. Although it's not, with our temperature is rapidly uh, dropping. We're now down to seventy-two degrees, guys. It's a mild. You'd think with all the hot air in the room, it would, oh, it would keep going up. Oh my! Okay, so Josh, 
uh, fellowship with God even as you're walking around at work. That, that's really helpful too, I think. Um, can I ask, this is the deeper cut, communion with the departed. That's the topic. And here's another quote. I really, I really like Judith Liu's uh, commentary. She says this, She said, there is a concern in this letter about what was prior, quote, from the beginning, that which was from the beginning. So John is pointing back, was, past tense. And he says, that thing. But it isn't merely the person of Jesus. I made this point in my first sermon. It's the message of eternal life. And I even used a couple of examples. John may not have been in every conversation, seeing every miracle. He might have been off stage for some of them and was told later, and you know who knows? So that which was from the beginning is the message of eternal life, parts of which I witnessed, parts of which I heard about, parts of which preceded me, even preceded the incarnate Son because eternal life has been proclaimed from Genesis 1, 1 on. And so Luke says, there's a concern about what was prior. Um, it may be that John is expressing a strong sense of the continuity that binds the readers of this letter into the tradition into which they have been brought. Communion with God, offered to Adam, failed restored to him through the promise, the, the proto-euangelion, the promise to send a, 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 a seed from the line of the woman to restore the communion that was offered and lost and restored in him. That's the tradition which was from the beginning, which takes us all the way back to Genesis. So in that sense, the, the friendship or sharing life with God really does capture the whole of the prologue, I think. And so fellowship with the departed, in other words, which is a Hebrews 11 question, is my grandmother, who is, in, I believe, in glory now, um, by pursuing sharing my life with God, I'm in some, I think, way, participating in that communion of the saints, some of whom have preceded me in glory. I think you're right. It makes me think of Paul in 2 Timothy when he's come. He knows he's at the end of his life, and he says, I have served God as did my ancestors. Yes. He seems to be experiencing that some kind of communion there. I think so. At the end of his rope. I um, think so. Yeah, this was something I was thinking about even today is when in church, when you do your call to worship, you're, you're calling the people to gather before God and worship him not just as a local congregation, not even as the church in New Jersey or you know the church in America or the church worldwide on the Lord's Day, but the church of all time, mm -hmm. the angels yeah. and the, the saints in heaven who are gathered before the throne of God. The, the writer of Hebrews says the general assembly in, in heaven um, who are worshiping Jesus Christ day and night, and we're joining in with the saints and angels when we're called to worship God in a very real way. Mm. You know, 
we don't say it. It's not tangible. We live by faith and not by sight in this age. But we have to we have to have that mindset that when we're coming to worship, we're not just coming to sing songs because it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. But we're joining in with with those who have gone before us, mm-hmm. even with those in a sense who will come after us, and we're participating in something glorious and, and grand and eternal in a, in a uh, inaugurated you know kind of not yet sense in this age but a hard mindset to maintain i mean mm-hmm. tim you have little kids <laughs> 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 yeah yeah they uh they break the glass pretty quick mm-hmm. in, in that regard but um it's i mean what aaron i agree 100 percent with what aaron's saying and i think even for those of us like Aaron and myself who who have little kids um, and it's not always easy to get into the mindset that you you might ideally want to be in for worship on a Sunday morning at 9.59. Um, I think uh, that there are things that you can do and there's things that like our family we we try to do to help kind of navigate that so we get to church before 9 30 every week no matter what we have going on and if we can get there before 9 15 even better let the kids get some energy out before mm. the service starts we're in our seats before 10 o'clock any conversations that we want to have saying hello to people can happen beforehand you know mm-hmm. so not to mention things that i often have on my plate for sunday morning so um I've had people in our church kind of jokingly say to me, like, oh, it, like, how do you get your three little kids here at 9 o'clock or 9.15? I said, if we don't get here by 9.15, we're not going to make it at 10. There's no way. Like, we have to get here mm-hmm. at before 9.30. Otherwise, we're not ready for church. Mm. Um, and that's not... Even still, it's a struggle. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really hard, but... Um, my my point in that that example is that there are things that you you can do no matter what you're dealing with and what stage of life you're in and, and what other external forces might be at play mm-hmm. to help um, get yourself situated in the right frame of mind to worship on the Lord's day. So sharing life with the departed, with the grand tradition. Um, this is in, I'm not talking about politics now, but this is what it means to be conservative. You're conserving. And mm. uh, I didn't mention it in the sermon, but it did occur to me to possibly mention Chesterton's quip, democracy. I believe in democracy provided that the dead get to vote. <laughs> so, um, but there's another shared life that's implied in, in the prologue Josh, if you, if you look at the text, it says, we, 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 in verses 1 through 4. John is intent, he seems to be intentionally deflecting attention away from himself. It's not, in other words, it's not just the royal we, you know, it's not like, yeah. we are not amused, you know, when we know it's just you that aren't amused. It's, it's... Hmm. John is taking his place in the community, the witnessing community 
the authoritative witnessing community is one of, but certainly not the only one and not mm. the, the most important one, one of the witnesses. And with the use of the we, it's, it's an apostolic we, I think. And it does create a, some tension as we begin this letter with the reader because now the reader is being told we have some concerns about you reader but i think i said in in the sermon he quickly then kind of very subtly invites the reader into that apostolic community whereas starting in verse 5 and and you know if we say we have yeah. no sin yeah so where did the apostolic community go? We have an advocate with God the Father. Yeah. He's not just saying like the apostles. Right. He's like saying all y'all and us together, yeah. all true believers have this. So why does he do this? Did, did you give some thought to that, Joshua? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's, I like the way that you, you presented it. Because um, you, def- you hit that, that point in the sermon. And that was one of, that was one of the things that that stood out to me um besides the the opening and the talking about friendship um it's i i it does seem that john is speaking as an eyewitness as this is it is an apostolic we and it's very pastoral would you say that to where there's an air of authority there's a distinction there, mm-hmm. but then as you, as, as you put it, he's then very quick to then invite them in, mm-hmm. right? You're also partakers of Christ, mm-hmm. right? If we say we have no sin, right? When, when, if we have sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He's very quick to, to bring them in. This is, we, ha- we are communing with God the Father and Jesus. We have delivered these things to you, and the, and through our word you have believed so now you're part of this communion and my favorite verse in first john i've got to get this in there is first john three one through three um it does uh, behold what manner of love the father has given unto us that we should be called children of god and yeah. that is what we are i mean the, the we language is so gracious it's so humble it's so there's there's no hint of of browbeating or not that like i mean paul talks about using his privilege and not using his i mean john could use that privilege i think but he's as pastoral as his authority is in 1 through 4 of chapter 1 he's equally pastoral in his refusal to use that authority in the rest of the book um, but you see it, you see the, the threat of the apostolic we, if I can call that a threat, you see it poking through. They left us because they were not of us, 219. And the talk of the Antichrist as it's sprinkled throughout First John. Yeah. So you do see it come back. It's like, well, who, who are you to say that that because they left us, that they're not a part of Christ. Like, wow, that, that yeah. takes a lot of a chutzpah to say that. 
there's like a there's a grace and then also a, a severity mm-hmm. a, a judicial this is the line um, at the same time like just all kind of woven in it is it really is you think that the we join the we in four with the joy being complete like is it the our our there is uh we're included in that hour or is it the I think, us that he's referring to i think it's still apostolic in verse four it's it's held in abeyance and it's never really resolved until 510 and 513 hmm. um but even his last verse, little children, keep, your, keep yourselves from yeah. idols. So, 521. So, um, it's part of the enigma of John <laughs> is, is the pronoun. And to me, the whole mystery of John in some ways revolves around this strange, complex use of the first person plural. We, we said we were going to talk about Jesus, Aaron, but we've been, we've delayed long enough because we, we need to land the plane here. Why is fellowship with God in Christ? Uh, and I'm, that's kind of a soft, underhanded pitch to you, but anybody can can jump in. Why is it so important that it's in Christ? Um, I, I think that. Maybe one of the reasons why is not to not to go back on what I said earlier, but that it's only in Christ that our our creational purpose or telos is fulfilled. God dwelling with us, you know. John says in his prologue to his gospel that God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. This is this is the the what was held out to Adam and Eve in the garden that God would dwell with His people in His consummate rest. His Sabbath rest forever, and that in Christ, this is what we receive, and we've, we're already experiencing it, in, you know, in, in a way that's not in its fullness or in its final form, but there's there is a sense in which we are experiencing it now, through the community, of, the saints, and through mm. the communion of the saints, mm. and so I, I think that, even even to go back to something I said earlier, we often. We often think of our relationship with God in individualistic terms because of the century we live in, because of the times we live in. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that we experience fellowship with God. We, we experience the, uh, in, in an inaugurated sense, the, the final consummate glory is communicated to us in the present through the communion of the saints because the Holy Spirit is... It uh, fills each one of us. We're all temples of the Holy Spirit. Paul says we're all. Uh, Peter says we're all individual living stones that are being built up into God's temple, with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And so that's why we speak of the church as the body of Christ, mm-hmm. because Jesus said that He is the true temple. And so as we are members of Jesus, as we're united to Jesus, we are members of the true temple of Jesus Christ. Amen. So. Amen. Yeah. Josh, I'm going to give you a crack at it. Why is fellowship with God or sharing life with God 
why is Jesus so integral to that idea? And in your, could you read First John four nine? First John 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. So you don't have to reference that verse, but I love that verse in this question. Why is Christ so integral to sharing life with God? He is the eternal word and wisdom of the Father who is sent into the world in order to bridge the gap between God and man, as only he can do, as the God-man. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, uh, as Brother Aaron just mentioned, Jesus is the, the final transfigured temple his own his own body his own person and you we have this temple language all over the new testament that we in christ are being built into a spiritual house a temple of living stones unto god and so in in this age now that the messiah has come the son of god has come to begin the new creation um, to make atonement for sins um, he has risen from the dead and, and that new creation, that new life has begun. And so the only way to have it, the only way to be restored to fellowship with God is through him. And there is, there is no other way. Even the, the Jews of the first century who had the traditions of their fathers, though corrupted in some ways, once, the, once you reject the Messiah, you know, Judaism, for instance, today is not a, a valid way of communing with God. As John himself says, if someone doesn't have the Son, neither do they have the Father. Mm. Um, it's in Christ alone mm. that we have that fellowship, that friendship that Abraham had with God. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned Abraham because when James uses the phrase Abraham was friends with God. It's in connection with uh, a, a saving faith that is fruitful. Mm. John's emphasis in terms of fellowship or friendship with God is not contradicting to that. If anything, he he's doubling down on James by urging us, how can you say that you love God if you don't love your brother? So James or James and John are absolutely in step when it comes to that but the notion of friendship isn't tied so much with obedience in John I think as it is the person of Jesus yeah and 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 you did a good job of explaining that Tim uh, what do you think uh, about these these young guys over here are they <laughs> are they doing a good job what, what do you think why why is Jesus so crucial for sharing life with God first I think they're doing an excellent job um, Agreed. I, I'm going to read from John's Gospel, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Okay. So John 17, starting in verse 20. 
Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are mm. in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, mm. so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and I and love them even as you love me. Hmm. And he goes on beyond that. But um, can't happen without Jesus. I mean, that's the simple answer. We are invited by Christ and through Christ into that perfect communion that he has with the Father. We get the Father's, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, he gives to us because hmm. of Jesus. Hmm. So it's like, I, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling to me. I I almost like choke up when I when I read it, um, but that that's my answer. Very well put. I'm not sure what we can add to that. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's always a safe bet to read Jesus's words. <laughs> yes, the red letters. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been, I've mentioned this a couple of times, I think recently, but I've been slowly reading through one of the nightstand books I have in my room is a book by, um, David Gibson on Psalm 23. And he speaks at length in one chapter about, um, in, in the Psalm, uh, David, David writes, you are with me. And we kind of gloss over those hmm. words. Like, what does it mean for the God of the universe to be with me. Um, and he, he really hones in on this idea that in Christ and because of Christ, we are invited into like this perfect communion with him and the father and the Holy spirit. Um, and that the same love that they have for one another, they have for us because of Jesus. And so when you talk about friendship with God, it's not like a, I mean, I love you brothers, but you know, I don't love you the way God loves you and you don't love me the way that God loves me. Hmm. So even our friendship as close as they are as brothers in Christ and as, you know, kind of brothers in, in our church, um, it doesn't compare to what we have and the friendship that we have from God. I wish that there was a, a word that would help our, creaturely brains to absorb that more i don't know what that is if there is one that exists but um it's it's absolutely astounding and um not just in a humbling way but in a in a joyful way right, right. so it's the last last word for me i think i don't know if i can say anything else to that but mm. anything else brothers amen. to amen. share amen is right Thanks for joining us tonight on The Deeper Cut, or I guess whenever you're listening to this. Um, and Aaron and Josh, thanks for, for being here this evening and and uh, partaking in the conversation. We hope that you'll come back, even if there isn't <laughs> a nice fire uh, going and, and we just uh, are residing in our normal recording studio. We'll uh, see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you both are, are busy men, so um, we'll, we'll do our best to, to align schedules and see if we can't get you back. But thanks for everyone who's tuned in this week. I will endeavor to try to get this posted before Sunday, um, before the, the sermon switch is over. No no pressure on that. Um, well, and there's a bunch of snow on the ground, so there's not, not a lot to be done. Uh, in the next 24 hours. Um, Make a snowman with Nathan, perhaps. If the snow was... It's not real good snowman material. It's a little icy. Yeah. yeah. A little icy. Yeah. Um, Maybe tomorrow its texture will change. We'll see. We'll see. I'd rather stay inside. But... <laughs> <laughs> good luck. Don't tell my kids that. Good luck. Um, but, yeah, thanks again for, for joining us this week, and we uh, look forward to talking to you again next week on The Deeper Cut. Mm-hmm.